1: So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to Episode 147. I wasn't really sure <laughs> what what episode we were doing. Episode 147 with listener uh, Amelia, and we're going to talk about postpartum depression. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Half y- <laughs> Keep going ahead. The Mental Illness Happy Hour. An hour or two of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm i am not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Uh, Mentalpod is also the Twitter name you can follow me at. Go uh, check out the website. You can take surveys. See how other people filled out surveys, um, read blogs, um, support the show, um, join the forum, all kinds of stuff. So uh, so go check that out. Um, this interview with Amelia was done, uh, I think it was done about a year ago. Um, so if there's anything in there where you're like, oh, "That's that doesn't make any sense, um, let's blame it on the fact that it was done a year ago. Uh, oh, Also, at the end, I kind of uh, get down on myself for... Uh, having misunderstood her um several points during the interview, I think I edited those out um because I can't have you guys see me make those kind of glaring mistakes, otherwise you would abandon me. <laughs> I wish that wasn't true. I wish that I wish I didn't feel that was true. I know that's not the truth, but um i'm working on i'm working on uh, anyway I digress uh, I want to kick it off with a An excerpt from a survey um, filled out by somebody who – this is from The Struggle in a Sentence – filled out by a woman who calls herself Kathy Z. And she writes – Uh, Any comments on how to make the podcast better, uh, please tell me how I can leave my verbally, emotionally, and sometimes physically abusive spouse, uh, in parentheses, I do hit back, when we are in a consumer debt program and have no savings, have a house together, and both have full-time jobs but are living paycheck to paycheck uh, as we pay off debt, uh, $7,600 left. I can't fathom going to an agency that could help me. you know the only thing that uh, I don't have any experience with something like this, but my first thought is go to a, a domestic abuse uh, shelter and um, that's what they're for. they're they're custom made for situations like yours. so that would be that would be and so either call two one one from a landline if uh, if that's the United States um, or uh, Google and I wish you uh, I wish you well. It's going to be really, really difficult. Um, This is an email that I got from uh, Garrett Plummer, who writes, um, although this was a short episode and simply contained you reading an article, uh, he's referring to the mini episode I did where I read an article written by Dr. Alan Rappaport about co-narcissism, which was so penetrated so many people to the depths of their souls where that they were, and I'm including myself where they're like, yes, that's what I've experienced. Um, Garrett is is writing about this, and uh, he writes, It had quite an impact on me as a son of a narcissistic father, I identified with a lot of what the article said, but more importantly, I was able to share the episode with my sister and mother. My sister texted me uh, that she couldn't stop crying mm-hmm. while listening to the episode, and she transcribed the important quotes back to me. She was able to express a lot of emotions to me that she had built up inside that she previously wasn't able to tell me this was an important step for her in an ongoing healing process i wanted to thank you for what you're doing and i cannot express enough how much i love the podcast well i appreciate that and um i can't express um how grateful and enough how grateful i am to the listener who forwarded me that uh that article um god bless you i lose track of who sends me stuff um and I apologize that sometimes I can't remember who who it was, but um, you guys are so thoughtful at forwarding me things and um, having the other listeners in mind in terms of trying to keep this this community we're building uh, going. I, I appreciate it, and I know a lot of other people do, just taking that minute out of your day to to share stuff. And I apologize that sometimes I'm, I'm overwhelmed and I'm like, you know what, I can't finish I can't finish reading this. I can't read this article. I've talked and read and thought enough about mental illness uh, today or this week or whatever. So if you don't get a response, that's probably where I'm coming from. All right. This is uh, from the struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself poor slob without a name about her anxiety. She writes, anxiety is like being covered in kerosene and walking through a 4th of July party and they are about to light the sparklers about borderline uh, personality disorder she writes is like loving and hating the thing you loved or hated the day before um i think it's like loving and hating the thing you loved or hated the day before I think i i think i understand i think uh, she's saying that um, how she feels about something switches from day to day that's how i interpreted that always nice to read ones that you aren't really sure what the hell they're saying uh, I seemed very sure of what she was saying when I when I printed that out and put it on the stack of stuff to read. This is same survey filled out by a guy named James um, about uh, feeling uh, the victim of racial or cultural bias. He writes, it's like I'm always wearing a sci-fi device that disguises my appearance by confusing some people into seeing me as some sort of alien life form, and no matter what I say, they will never believe I'm a human being. Um, he identifies as gay, so um, my my hunch would be that uh, that's the the homophobia that uh, that he's experiencing. Um, I also want to uh, wish you guys a Merry Christmas, or as I like to call it, Wednesday. And uh, I hope you I ha- hope it w- treated you well, and your family didn't drive you crazy. And uh, my wife and I have been having fun playing. Uh, we got a Wii, uh, Nintendo Wii, and we've been having fun playing games. And I think. I think my favorite part might be uh, playing uh, Call of Duty and uh, just shooting a room full of people as, uh, as Jesus would have wanted. Every human being has weird thoughts going through their head.
0: and what i became was an animal they
1: took away my shoelaces
0: i became chaos
1: like it hurts i just want to go i just want to leave you have no idea what a small part of your life this is you go to a spark group it's like creating a family that you didn't have i mean life is one percent event my body was abused 99 percent judgment about that event but they couldn't touch the best parts of me but the world is a little bit wounding it's also
0: glorious it does always get better but it does
1: I'm here with Amelia as a listener that I've uh, corresponded with for probably a year, maybe. Yeah, about a year. Um, you heard the Teresa Strasser episode uh, a while back. Actually, if it was right after Teresa's episode, it's it's more than that. It's uh, probably it's two years. Yeah, two years. And that episode really, really touched you. Yes. Um, specifically, the stuff about after having a baby and having anxiety and stuff like, like that. And Teresa didn't call it postpartum depression in her situation but in your situation um it was clearly uh postpartum depression and and explain some of the concerns you had about because you're you're there's a chance your family will hear it and you don't want them to get the wrong ideas what were the the, the concerns that you that you had cuz you're going to talk about your past and your right. family and stuff like that
0: right um, I had a difficult childhood in some respects, but not in all respects. Um, I had a difficult relationship with my mother, and we'll get into that. But I don't want it to seem like it was, you know, a terrible childhood across the board because it definitely was not. Um, there were a lot of my family members who completely stepped up, and you know, I once I saw a therapist, and she said, you know, if you are not crazy, it's because of all these other people who made you feel you know loved and valued and so I'm kind of afraid that I may in telling the story make it sound like that wasn't true so I want to make it very clear that I've had lots of wonderful support from family members and from friends and that the bad part of my childhood that I'm talking about is one specific thing okay
1: great um you live in France
0: I live in France
1: um, when you watch the naked ladies dance through the hole in the wall, <laughs> can you see it all or is that just a myth?
0: Um, I've never gone to see the naked ladies. There are some.
1: So you live in France.
0: So I live in France. Um, and I have for 15 years. And um, And what brought you there? A relationship. Not the one that I'm in now. Um, but can I ask how old you are? I am 47. Okay. I moved to France when I was 33. Uh, I was in a relationship with a Frenchman that did not work out, but it was very passionate. Like somebody had to move somewhere and I moved there. Um, And then I got a job there that I really liked working for an international organization. And um, it's a very multicultural situation with people from all different countries and I really, really enjoy that. So I ended up staying. Um, it was a bit of a struggle to work it all out, but I ended up staying. And um, then uh, a co-worker at that job that I was working at introduced me to her ex, who is my current, <laughs> um, I'm going to say partner because we're not married. He's a man. And um, we've been together for 11 years. And we're the same age. And so about three years into the relationship, we started talking about having a baby. Um, and one of the reasons was I was, uh, I was 39 years old. And I jokingly said, um, wow, like this is the last month that I could get pregnant and have a baby before 40. And he said, "Oh, really? I'm like, what are you doing? Like next weekend?" And I thought, you know, this poor man has no idea. It doesn't work like that. It did work like that. Um, so it wasn't like a surprise. It was something you know that I wanted to do. And um, I think you know we'll get back to it. But my complicated history, like with my mother, it having a child was never really, really high on my list. And then there was like this strange three month period around that time when I suddenly wanted one. Like, I I don't even know what happened. I mean, maybe it's a biological hawk, I don't know. But what was strange was the the time lapse between, hmm, maybe this is a good idea, yes, let's do this, and baby in my arms was less than a year and a half. So I was incredibly fortunate. I mean, incredibly fortunate when you think about, you know, couples that just go through years and years of this. Um. So emotionally,
1: what, what what was it like though? Going from
0: it was exciting; it, it really was. It was. I was. Com- I mean, I think my a lot of my family were absolutely shocked. I mean, I think because of my age and my lifestyle and everything, people are like, "Well, that's not going to happen." And then suddenly, I was saying, "Oh, yes, this is happening." And the baby was healthy. Absolutely, um, I had a, I had a very normal pregnancy. Um, baby was perfectly healthy. Uh, I had a caesarean section, which uh, I'll go into that too, but that is kind of, I wasn't planning to. That's kind of common though with older mothers, I think, I'm understanding that like after a certain age your chance of that uh, increases. Uh, So I was very, very happy about the whole thing, I was, you know, um, I've been thinking about it and I don't really remember being afraid of being depressed what I was afraid of was being a bad parent like was I up to the task I wonder if
1: those are related
0: oh absolutely yeah oh yeah (laughs) and one of the reasons that I felt okay about this plan about having a baby with this particular man um, was that I thought I might just mess this up like you know but he won't like, he is a stable person and an honest person and somebody who, I you know, I greatly respect and I, you know, very kind. And if I just blow it, like, she'll have him. So, that's what happened. Um, should I go forward or backward?
1: When you say, that's what happened... What do you mean that's what happened?
0: So that's the circumstances under which the postpartum came later. It didn't happen like on the day that my daughter was born. It it came on about 4 weeks later. And um Okay, I'm going to go backwards a little bit. So I've always I'm a person who's always had really bad PMS. So everybody knows what PMS is. PMDD is it's sort of like thermonuclear <laughs> PMS.
1: And that was the band after the clash. Right.
0: right. <laughs> That's going to be my band. Um, and I was taking Zoloft for it for many years, just a very, very low dose, because that seems to be the antidepressant that they think works with that. And was and, that
1: prescribed by a doctor or a psychiatrist?
0: Um, I went to see a therapist in my 20s because I was sort of having like three normal weeks and then one complete chaotic horrible week where i like had to apologize to everybody after it was over and then start again and like seem normal and then fall apart and so i did go to see a therapist and you know probably for six months and at the end of the six months he said i really think that this is your problem he's like because the rest of the things you're telling me about your life you know you're you're not doing any behaviors that would lead me to think that you know he's like but something's wrong and it was cyclical it was definitely cyclical and um He sent me to a psychiatrist. I think it was a psychiatrist. It could have been a gynecologist. And they prescribed this, and I felt much better. So it worked for me.
1: Hmm. And then did you take that for years? Are you still on it? I'm back on
0: it. Okay. Um,
1: When did you go off it? When I got pregnant. Okay. And was that because you wanted to, or they advised you to? I wanted to. And what made you decide that you wanted to? You just thought any... SSRI when you're pregnant is a no-no. It was Which mi- is a myth by the way. It is a myth. Oh, absolutely. It
0: is a myth. Yeah. Um Are you
1: asking me or telling me? No, I'm telling you. Oh, okay. Yes, myth. we're on the same page. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a myth.
0: Um but I also think that was my decision for me. I was taking a very low dose too. So it wasn't a it wasn't like, you know, huge taper or anything like that. It was Um, it was just my own personal decision. Uh, So
1: you'd been on it from your mid-twenties to to 39?
0: 39. Okay.
1: That's great that that worked so consistently for you.
0: It did. It did. Um, I had also, by the way, uh, some of the theories about that particular problem and also postpartum depression is that it has to do with progesterone. And some people try to treat it with progesterone cream, natural progesterone cream, and I had tried that also, and it did help me also, but it was such a strict regime of like, you know, this at this time and this amount and stuff that I, f- I realized after some time that they were both sort of doing the same thing. And I'm not even sure how that works. And to be honest, I was like, this is just easier. Like just taking this pill every day is easier. It's more consistent. I don't forget it. I don't lose it, you know, cause I'd be somewhere. and I don't
1: mistake it for suntan lotion.
0: Exactly. I don't mistake it for toothpaste, <laughs> <laughs> which I have done.
1: Have you Really? That is (laughs) not tasty.
0: My teeth looked great, though. Uh, So anyway, I, I went off it and strangely enough, I was fine. So that because possibly I'm not a doctor, pregnancy is all about progesterone. Your body is flooded with progesterone when you're pregnant. And one of the theories about postpartum depression is that it's that drop of hormones that sends a person into it. So I was fine during the pregnancy. Um, and
1: if I can just interject, too, there's another thing that happens, which is when you've been on a med for a long time, there is a buildup of it mm-hmm. in your system that will carry you through sometimes months that
0: could be after
1: going off it. I, I had that happen uh, to me where I went off my meds and I was fine for five months. And then it was like really? a light yeah. switched off. So yeah. that that can also be the, the case. Yeah. I
0: mean, if, yeah. I mean... I just think that in my case, it was a clue that everything was hormonal. So, um, so back to the C-section, I had a C-section and, and um, I've been a pretty sporty person all my life. Like I danced for a while. I love very strenuous things like backpacking. And I looked forward to the birth as like, this is gonna be like the ultimate challenge for my body. I studied it, I read books, I was absolutely ready. I. To the point where I never even read the chapter on cesarean sections
1: because you were like that. I'm that wasn't not... going to
0: happen to me. Like I was, you know, on my little birthing ball, and you know, I, that was not going to happen to me. That happened to me. And um,
1: what did you think when they said we're, we're going to do a C-section? Was it something set ahead of time, or was it like the day of? We're going to do a C-section.
0: No, I uh, my daughter went two pa- two weeks past her due date, and I they kept saying, you know, we're going to have to induce this. And I was saying, please let me do it. Please let me do it. Like, I wanted this experience so bad. And uh, at at one point, they induced me. And then I was in labor for 16 hours. And um, I kept saying, please, please let me do it. I know I can do it. Just give me two more hours, you know. But I guess once you start getting induced and you have an epidural and all that stuff, your chances of like a natural childbirth are going down, 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 down. Because now you're, you know, your body's not. You're out of sync with your body. So, you know, it was one o'clock in the morning and all the doctors are standing around and they're just like, okay. And then we noticed that her heartbeat on the monitor was starting to slow down. And my obstetrician said, I don't like that at all. And then it was like, okay, let's go with this. So no, I had no, no
1: and plan. And then, then did they put you under to do the C-section or because no. the epidural, you don't need it?
0: No, and I was also... um,
1: No, you don't need it because of the epidural. You don't
0: need it, but they have to... I got very sick from the epidural. That happens to some people. So they have to give you like... I think I had three of them because they were waiting so long. It's usually not like that. And so they have to give you like a mega dose because they can't... if If I understand correctly, they can't change drugs like at the last minute. They've got to go with whatever they're doing. So they gave me, like, a mega dose, but they knew that I was going to be sick because I hadn't tolerated it well before. So I sort of went through, like, the whole birth vomiting. It was – it wasn't very elegant. <laughs> you
1: should have shit, too. Then you could have yeah. had it coming out of all uh. There all three orifices. There was some of that, too. Yeah.
0: yeah. There was, like, you know, whatever. It's whatever. And – um, So my beautiful birth experience that I had planned for, and, you know, I knew exactly what I was going to say to my daughter when she was born, you know, I was going to lovingly look at her and say, you know, happy birthday, (laughs) I kind of puked it out the side of my mouth, (laughs) like, it was, it just, yeah. So that was strike number one. I didn't do this right. Like, I messed up the birth, see?
1: Have you always been a perfectionist and a type A?
0: I'm not a type A, but I'm definitely a perfectionist. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because that, you know, I'm not going I'm, I'm to gonna have a C-section. I'm going to do this right. I got all this stuff, you know, mapped out.
0: Well, and it was also kind of romantic in my mind. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and that's part of this whole problem, too, is like the romance of the baby and, the, you know, this and that. And it's so televised. And, you know, I watch all those lifetime shows and it's like sometimes it's just not like that. You know, it's
1: does, does fantasy play a, a large part in your in your life, good and bad like projecting into the future and how are things gonna gonna go
0: not really okay no no i just you know it's it was just my idea and it didn't come true
1: so so you feel like it comes more from a from a romance part than than a
0: well it comes from everyone telling you just like you know weddings this is the most special day of your life People saying the best day of my life was the day that my ba- daughter was born and the best, you know, experience was watching her come out of me. And it's like, okay, well, I was like puking my guts out and you know, watching her come over. Thing. I mean, it was a beautiful experience, but it was, you know, probably wouldn't make a good movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: definitely not a good 3D movie.
0: Yeah, the good news was my daughter was extremely healthy. I mean, really healthy. Um and she
1: came out lifting weights.
0: Oh, she came out like <laughs> wide awake staring at everybody like here i am i mean it kind of amazing after all she'd been through for the last you know 16 hours and um
1: and you were feeling other than the nausea and being exhausted mentally and maybe a, what, a little disappointed that you had to have a c-section other very than...
0: disappointed immediately
1: okay but, but did was it a depression or, or more just disappointment at that point
0: well the next day one of the um nurses who had been on staff early in the day came in and I guess the reason I I guess what happened was I never fully dilated. So whenever this happened I was at like five centimeters and when they made this decision. And a nurse came in the next morning and said, But you were at five centimeters, why didn't you keep going? And I thought That's
1: kind of a nasty thing to say.
0: She was kind of nasty. <laughs> But it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I had a little help. Like, it was like, wow, you know, you could have stuck in there. And it's like, well, you weren't there. You don't know what happened. And
1: why would you say that after the fact? So how did that make you feel when when she said
0: Horrible, that? Horrible, because I was already thinking that. Um. Now I know that, like, you know, if I had really researched it, the chances of me actually succeeding at this were pretty low, given my age. Um. But yeah, I mean, I the whole first day I was thinking, yeah, well, I screwed that up. Um,
1: and the the result of the screw up being that you couldn't say I did it all naturally, or that you're left with a scar, or what? What is the disappointment in that? You that it wasn't a clean victory on you know, quote unquote.
0: Well, um,
1: you cheated. I mean, what?
0: There's so much for pregnant women, especially now. There's there's a there's a really wonderful documentary out called "The Business of Being Born." I've seen it. It's awesome. Okay, you've seen Ricky it. Ricky Lake produced it, right? Yeah, and yeah. there's I think there's even a sequel to it. I had
1: no idea C-sections were done often because the doctor doesn't want to be called in after you know dinner.
0: Right, and like the statistics, like they happen to hap- they often happen on a Friday night or sure. like right before summer vacation, or and I that documentary came out after this experience but you see something like that and you you know you do feel like you took the easy way out which was not the case i mean you know this was the, the, the baby's heartbeat was slowing down this is what they had to do but when you're reading you know natural childbirth books and you're hearing the birth stories of your friends and other women you know who have done it naturally and how it was like this warrior moment and you know, there, when you're talking about cesarean too, like there's danger to the baby. You know, pumping, you know, the baby full of that much drugs, all that stuff, and it's. I had an extreme guilt about it. So it wasn't like, oh, I didn't do it perfectly. It was like, oh, I, I failed my daughter. Like, she didn't get to come.
1: Okay, here's something crazy. How do you think that that is going to make any difference? It doesn't. Yeah, I know. But what what in your mind made you think that the baby is going to be invested in how she came out of your body?
0: I'm telling you, this was the beginning of what was going to happen next. Okay. This was like, this was all, it was already starting. Like, look, I'm just not suited for this. Like, I told you, I told you. Like, every time something would go wrong, I told you. And... But this is crazy. We uh, my my daughter was born at about one o'clock in the morning, and I was so freaked out about like she's not going to be able to choose her own birthday. Like how dare you know how dare we choose her birthday? What I know, like it doesn't matter. But I was like she should decide when she comes into the world. That's why I kept. Wow, I know. I mean, it
1: came in like like a like a dam broke the. The PPD.
0: I think I was very mystical about the whole thing. About that, just about. I mean, I am a little mean, bit. What about, do you mean
1: when you say mystical about the whole thing?
0: About um, fate and chance and karma and all that. I thought. I thought, like you know, this is this needs to all happen as naturally as possible, and you know, everything is a sign, and and then it got you know very medical all of a sudden, and that was just a shock. And as for the cesarean, I was extremely lucky. It, it went very well. I healed really fast. I had the right, because it was France, to stay in the hospital for five days. Went home, was feeling fine. So, however, one of the risk factors for postpartum is a difficult childbirth, or a traumatic childbirth. And I would not even say that I had, a tra- I didn't have a traumatic childbirth. I was disappointed in the way it turned out, but it wasn't traumatic. It was. I don't know.
1: It didn't sound simple. It didn't sound easy, although I don't ima- I, I can't imagine how many childbirths could be considered easy, but yeah, I mean but everyone
0: is different.:
1: 16 hours in vomiting. Um,
0: the vomiting was just at the end, but yeah, I mean, I've heard much worse stories. I've heard better stories. I mean I've heard much, much worse stories about childbirth. I mean it wasn't you know it was, she wasn't in distress, there wasn't you know and again, she was perfectly healthy. it was all good and so then I had um what people call the baby blues which is almost everyone gets this it's 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 that hormone crash after the delivery and it usually happens in the first week you know a lot of weeping a lot of and it for most women it passes Uh, so I was sort of going through that when I when I took her home and then I spent about a week just staring at her, like, oh, look, there's a baby in our house. (laughs) Wow. Um, I think I also, when I was pregnant, I was trying so hard to bond with her, like, when she was inside me, and I just was not feeling it. I was like, what is that? I mean, like, there's somebody in there, like, kicking me, and I just... I, again, that that whole magical thinking, I thought, well, we should already be, like, communicating, like, you know, we should be talking to each other and stuff, and I just, you know, no, there was a baby in there, and I was rubbing my tummy, and I had people tell me, like, that's normal, don't, you know, it's going to take a while, you know. Are you somebody who
1: always has really, really high expectations for, for things?
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: because, I mean, my God, you know, expecting to bond with your baby before it's even out of your body. Uh, I mean, I don't know much about pregnancy or what women go through, so I don't know if that's normal or not, but that seems like you're setting the bar really high for what your experience is going to be, I mean, right out of
0: the gate. But there it, the bar is set for you also. I mean, there's so much writing about motherhood and stuff and it's that's why I wanted to speak about this because there's so much more about the, you know, the the experience and the bonding and and it's all
1: true it's it's almost it almost strikes me as like a version of pornography not in a sexual way but in a way of creating (laughs) of 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 creating a fantasy that it is a little bit that that is really not realistic and sets you up for disappointment because your experience isn't
0: that well i think i'm guessing that for the majority of people that is the way it goes i mean i have plenty of mother friends not exactly the way it goes But it it does make you kind of feel like if you're not joining the party that something's wrong with you.
1: And And I have received many emails from women who haven't been honest about their experience. So if they're not being honest about their experience...
0: You mean they're saying, I feel this way, but I'm not being honest with my family and friends?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That they don't feel bonded to their baby, that they aren't happy to be a mother, that they're terrified, and they feel no connection to this thing sitting in the crib from them. So I just wonder how many, what are the real statistics of it? And everybody buys into this fantasy, and everybody's afraid to admit,
0: you know, that... Well, look at, you know, Johnson & Johnson commercials you just need to look at those with like you know it's it's also interesting i you know when you have a child like this it's like getting married to someone you never met right it's like the most important person in your world who you are 100% responsible for just showed up like and babies don't do a lot for a while it takes about 3 months for them to start interacting
1: how awesome would it be to see a diaper commercial where right. <laughs> the mom, the mom's on the phone snapping Sobbing. at the husband.
0: Oh, <laughs> I'd love that. He's
1: not, do, you know, he's not doing, or, or he is doing what he's supposed to do. But she's cranky because she's having mood swings, and they're both miserable, and the baby's crying, and something gets knocked over and spills, and then you just see the the, the name of which the which has diaper. happened
0: to pretty much every parent ever. Why not? Why not have that? Doesn't sell diapers. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it would.
1: I bet it would. I bet a lot of people would go. Yes, thank you. Yeah,
0: they could have a whole line of products for like real parents. That would be very interesting. Um, so go. So go ahead. I'm, I so I tend to get no, no. So sidetracked. Um, okay, so I went home from the hospital. Spent this kind of like weird, spacey week, like trying to figure out like what just happened. And then I was very fortunate that my best friend came from uh, the states to spend two or three weeks with me, and uh, my family, some of my family came over as well, and so suddenly we had kind of a full house every day, and that, I don't know if if the depression hadn't hit yet, or I just didn't have time, and also uh, my best friend is. Extremely funny person, and we tend to like just laugh our heads off about everything. So we were just giggling too much the whole time about like this little alien, you know. And um, was
1: that nice to have her there and to?
0: It was wonderful. She actually came over to to see if she was going to be able to have a baby. Like she was kind of trying mine on, <laughs> and she went on to have one. So I guess it was a positive experience. Um. So everybody eventually had to go home and that's about when it came on so two things happened at the same time one was i got um i came down with mastitis which is an infection you can get when you're breastfeeding it's extremely painful and
1: do you have to discontinue breastfeeding when you get it
0: no and i didn't know that um i was taking antibiotics for it and i thought i shouldn't do that and breastfeed and i was wrong about that and it actually hit me on a weekend and I faxed the obstetrician and said you know here's what's going on what should I do and she actually faxed me back a few days later saying keep breastfeeding but I didn't I had already sort of gotten off schedule and I never really got back on schedule exactly the way it was before so some people think that breastfeeding um, protects you from postpartum depression so the two things that happened at the same time was I was suddenly alone and I mean, alone with my partner. And I was sort of having a tough time breastfeeding. So again, I was messing up. Like, oh, can't get the breastfeeding right. Like, um, so that's when it really started to set in. Um, I also, like I said, I'm not a type A, but I'm pretty organized. I wasn't sleeping. That's a huge thing. Um, I... For while. By your own
1: choice or because of the baby's needs? Um, or because you had insomnia?
0: I had the illusion that I could deal with the baby and still sort of keep my life together. And so, like, we would get her down to sleep, and then I'd go, okay, now I'm going to go clean the refrigerator. You know, like, I catch up on my email, and I should have just gone to sleep. But I was trying to, like, maintain the way things had been going up until that point. You can't. I mean, you can't. Maybe maybe if you have a live-in nanny or something, you can, but you can't.
1: Well, what does the person do that can't afford a nanny?
0: If they're smart, they just realize, hey, I just had a baby and I'm going to give myself a break.
1: So there's a time period that you can just shut down the rest of that stuff and go, I'll get to it, you know.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to realize, like, this major thing just happened in your life and you're physically exhausted and, you know, every new parent knows the sleep thing is is a big deal. And so I was having a lot of sleep deprivation that I was bringing on myself. I wasn't allowing myself to sleep because I just, I kept trying to get it all done, get it all done. And I, um, I was on maternity leave and because I live in France, I had very generous maternity leave. I had six weeks off, which is amazing. Um...
1: What do you do in France, by the way?
0: I work for an international organization and um in the climate change area. Okay. I'm not a high flying, you know, super important person, but I have a job that I really like and um uh I do some freelance writing and I thought you know, I also I think this is also true of a lot of people who, you know, take some time off after having a baby. Like I always thought, Oh, and then we'll just take the baby and travel. Like, we'll go to Russia. Why not? You know. <laughs> You just you just don't know you don't know, um, and yeah. So lack of sleep not good. And then this the crying started.
1: The but baby or you?
0: Me. Well, both. <laughs> um, yeah, just weeping, weeping, weeping all the time. Um, starting to feel wor- more and more worthless by the day.
1: Just because, or are you associating it with certain things, or? failures on your part?
0: Everything was a failure on my part.
1: Real or imagined? Imagined. Give me some examples.
0: Um, one day, we took my daughter out in the stroller, and it was a sunny day. It was like a sunny fall day, and... We were going down the driveway of her house, and I happened to look at her, and her eyes were crossed, like in this really crazy way, like really crazy way. I thought, okay, I didn't just see that. And then she did it again, and I thought, okay, something's really, really wrong here. And in fact, what was going on was the kid was in sunlight, and her, you know, your the muscles that move your eyes take a while (laughs) to work Mm -hmm. themselves out. So she was just like, "Ah." and. I immediately thought, "Okay, brain damage." Like I'm sure that I dropped her or she fell backwards on her head because I think maybe she had fallen down like during the day or, you know, like just a little bump or something. I was like, "Okay, well, there we go, shaken baby syndrome." Uh ah. So we went back to the house and I called um my sister-in-law and my partners, I mean, we're not we all call each other. All those names, even though we're not married. I called her and said, Have you ever seen this before? She said, No, not really. And then we called like an emergency house call doctor to come to the house and shine a light in my baby's eyes. And, you know, and he was like, I think she's fine. And then he said, But I'm not so sure about you. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was a wreck. I was just a wreck, a wreck, a wreck. And then he left and I spent at least eight hours sobbing. Just sobbing.
1: What's your partner doing during this? What's he saying? Or you were trying to hide it from him?
0: No, no. uh, No, he was just, he was perplexed. I mean, he was, he was worried. He was perplexed. Um, Postpartum depression does not get the same attention in France. And I was beginning to know that there was something wrong with me that was like beyond what was normal. And I kept trying to explain it to him and he didn't understand it because I don't think he'd ever been around anyone who'd had it. Although one of his cousin's wives had just had it. No, she had it after I had it. And, you know, she had it very badly on a third child, and she was fine on the first two.
1: Were you aware that it was a thing that existed before this happened to you? Vaguely. But you, do you did you make the connection? Did you ever think to yourself, I wonder if I'm experiencing postpartum depression? I thought,
0: something's not right. Something's not right. This is, i I this is going too far
1: like chemically something is is wrong with something beyond my control is wrong with me
0: well once I started being treated for it um, I understood that what I was having was called intrusive thoughts um, I was not hallucinating but I could not stop like very horrible thoughts going through my head um, they were not about me harming the baby not ever but they were about terrible things happening to her that I could not prevent. And it was excruciating, it was exhausting. You just, I could not reason myself out of these thoughts. And for example, um, we had a garage that had steps going down into the garage and to the right of the steps was, uh, was a shelf that was built in concrete that had a sharp corner. And I would just replay and replay and replay this baby's head smacking into that corner. You know, like I would be holding her and have to go into the garage and you know there was I mean I could just see the whole tragedy unfolding there's no reason to think that would ever happen like there's no reason to think that I would not be careful every single time um, we had a pond in the backyard of our house uh, it's pretty large and I was absolutely sure that my daughter wasn't gonna end up in that pond I didn't know how, but she was going to end up in that pond. And I focused on it all the time. We ultimately moved, actually, when she was uh, a toddler, because I was still worried about it. Uh, and to be fair, I know someone that that happened to. I I had known someone whose toddler brother, like, wandered into the pool. So that was sort of a horror story, or the pond. So that was kind of a horror story it always had in the back of my mind. Um, And I was just obsessed, 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 obsessed. Like... Uh, couldn't talk myself out of it.
1: Um, what? What a great example of the power of mental illness. That yeah, it's, it's not a about rationality or no. intellect.
0: No, and if you are a rational person, which most of the time I am, it's that's what it, it's so frustrating because you know something's wrong. You know you're thinking crazy, and you can't stop it
1: because you think that the thing that is warped can help you unwarp the right. thing that is warped
0: Exa- that's exactly it yeah you can't think your way out of it so i think i told you this in an email i one day thought okay i'm going to take the bull by the horns i'm going to i'm going to get out of my thing about the pond i'm, I'm going to take this right on and it was winter uh, i think there's a little snow on the ground it was very cold And I wrapped my daughter up in a blanket, or I put her in the baby bjorn. actually. I wrapped her up really carefully. I warmed myself up, and I decided I was going to go walk to the edge of the pond and prove to myself that, like, this can't happen. And I got to the edge of the pond, and I froze, and I couldn't take a step in any direction. I couldn't go backwards. I couldn't walk back into the house. I was just frozen, frozen. I mean, not by the snow. (laughs) with this feeling that she was going to f- fly out of my arms into the water.
1: Did, was the the feeling that you couldn't take a step because it would endanger her or because you couldn't will your body? I was move?
0: afraid that, like, like, if I moved, something else would happen. It was like, you know, okay, like this, we're okay. As long as I don't move, we're okay. And then I kept thinking, well, eventually I got to go back to the house. <laughs> and I stood out there for a good 40 minutes, 45 minutes and it wasn't helping. My mind didn't go, see, it's okay. My mind went, yeah, this is really bad. Get back in the house.
1: How did you finally b- <clears throat> b- break out of the frozen?
0: I willed myself back into the house. I don't think I've told many people that story. What did
1: it feel like when you took that first step towards, towards the house? Was like I wasn't it- going to make it what did you think was going to happen the baby was going to fall out of your arms and roll in the pond or what was the what was the scenario in your head
0: you know the feeling in dreams when you can't move your legs mm-hmm. it was like that it's like i'm not i don't know
1: i'm going to fall down and die here in the cold i'm going to
0: fall no it wasn't that cold but i'm like i'm going to f- yeah i'll trip she'll fall or you know just it was you I've often described it as like, you know, there's planes flying overhead now, all over our heads, all the time. There must be like, you know, seven planes going overhead at any time. You know, we don't look up and go, oh my God, that thing's coming for me. But when you have, or my experience of that was like, that plane's coming straight for me. <laughs> you know, like things that you never would think about as being hazardous, you know, and that could also be um, you're looking out for this, you know, infant so you're hyper aware of like danger in every single possible way that it's coming and my i would almost say it was it was way more anxiety than depression it it almost sounds like a like a
1: half dream state or a half nightmare state where yeah you're in reality you see your surroundings but it, it's like all of the lack of logic and terror of a of a dream i wa- i wonder I, I wish there was a way that you could measure. I bet they can. I bet they can measure the brain waves.
0: They they could probably of somebody.
1: I should ask. There's a guy that I interviewed. I haven't aired it yet, but he um, measures brain waves in in people. And uh, I'm actually going to go in there, and he's going to he's going to do do mine. Um, but I wonder what the findings are on women in that in that state and what their brain waves are and how closely they resemble somebody in uh
0: Can they do that? In I a mean, state of
1: sleep. I don't know why they can couldn't. They save
0: sleep? Well there's probably or a, having sero- a bad dream. There's probably a serotonin component to it as well. But um
1: this is where it would be nice to have that that expert. I wish we could teleport an expert in when we needed them.
0: Yeah, but I to my knowledge nobody's doing anything like that. They're still arguing over, you know whether it exists I mean it does exist but I mean here's an interesting fact the um, the new DSM came out this Mm -hmm. year the statistical manual that they use for um, diagnosing mental illness Mm -hmm. and postpartum depression is still not in it as its own category it's it's like a it's it's a version of mental illness but it's not its own category however the the PP no
1: PMD. PMDD
0: that I was talking about before. That is now in there as its own separate category.
1: You f- forwarded an article to me written by a woman um, who was talking about the Andrea Yates. Andrea Yates was the, was the mother who um, killed her children. And this woman wrote this great article about why do we treat her like a criminal when there are are other people who have committed crimes that because she was found to be mentally ill?
0: There were two trials. She was convicted the first time,
1: but then it was overturned it was because she was.
0: No, she was convicted. She was the first time she was convicted in three and a half hours. The jury deliberated in only three and a half hours and they were like, Pfft. and then uh, they reopened or she was retried and. Then she was declared mentally ill, or by reason of insanity. I think. Yeah, yeah that's a tough one. And. Um,
1: but but the, the the reason I bring that up is there are so many instances where mental illness is not understood, and you know, and I think of like Amanda Bynes, who who is so clearly mentally ill and and is the punchline for so many people. It's like if she had cancer, nobody would be making fun of that. Absolutely. And I think it's because the person that has cancer has the benefit of knowing they have cancer and not generally not impeding progress to try to get better. Right. And so... But even then, we wouldn't make fun of somebody. But mental illness is so stigmatized and so misunderstood because you can't measure it. Quantitatively. I wish there was a
0: term for it. I mean, I wish there was a better term for it. Because if you have high blood pressure, you take high blood pressure medicine. You have a high blood pressure condition. If you ha- if you take heart medicine, if you have diabetes, like you have this condition. And because it has to do with, you know, the brain, it becomes mental illness, you know, da-da-da, and that's it's a condition, And and in most cases, it's treatable. I think maybe it's just because, well, I've been traveling, you know, the last few weeks, and I noticed that CNN was running this Crimes of the Century series, I guess they do, and one was on Andrea, um, yeah, and Andrea Yates, and I find that just horrifying. I mean, that may be a tragedy of the century, but you know, comparing her to Timothy McVeigh or you know David Koresh, I mean, I don't know every single detail about that case, but I do know that she had been diagnosed with postpartum. She stopped taking her medication. She, uh, if I remember correctly, she was in a relationship where, you know, she didn't want to continue having children, and she was on number five. Um,
1: You know, and and if I could just interject, and I would even say that those people who's Timothy McVeigh and David Koresh, that while I think they were responsible for their actions, to think that there wasn't any mental illness at play, too, would would be –
0: Yeah. No, you said that. Actually, you said something recently about um, I think it was about the the cinema shooting that I thought was really profound. You were saying like if you if if you don't deal with the mental illness issue, it's like handing these people a gun, I and mean, you can't not it, you can't not address this in society and then act surprised when this stuff continues to happen.
1: Pain is going to come out, yeah, one way or another, yeah. And society has to deal with it, yeah. And the best way to deal with it is to try to go to therapy and try to treat it. But it's hard when people, because you can't make people do what they need to get better. A certain part of them has to want it and and submit to it. But and, and I think that's what makes mental illness trickier than physical illness or other you know things where the person can see, oh, yes, my bone is broken. I do need to wear that's a cast. Yes,
0: yeah, exactly right.
1: It's, uh, but you know that line is so gray between. At what point is somebody responsible for their actions? You know, it, how do you measure that? How do you? That's that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. But let's get back to uh, your story. I'm sorry I, uh, no, that's I okay. sidetracked us.
0: But I mean, one difference I would make between what you're saying is that you know, with postpartum depression, um, there are people with a history. Like you know, I've I've had, you know, with the previous hormonal stuff and there is sort of a genetic component in my family for depression. Um but some of some women this just hits them. You know, they're they're like very together, professional. That type of person has no idea what's going on. If you're a person who's ever experienced depression and, you know, that, I think that's probably why I knew something was wrong. It's like, "Ooh, I kind of know this feeling. This isn't good." But if you are, you know, n- that's not something that happens in your life, to suddenly feel like you're absolutely losing your mind, you're not going to tell anybody that. And that's what frightens me. Especially when, again, you know, the Pampers commercial, and you're supposed to be smiling, smiling, and it's...
1: That's kind of the version of the person that tells the depressed person, look how much you have to
0: be grateful exactly for. Exactly that. That was what I wanted to say that, feel that too. Feel like, worse. oh, my God, you have the most beautiful, healthy baby, and, you know, man who loves you, and all a sudden It's like... Yes, all those factors are true. It has nothing to do with what's going on. Nothing. Your brain's like going wacko on you. It has nothing to do with that. And again, I think there's a hormonal component to it.
1: So what what was the next thing that happened? So you you freeze with the baby by by the pond. Mhm. Um then what?
0: Um I think that was about, cause it was just before Christmas. So I think that was the point where I was like, oh, okay, this is really bad. So I went back to my um, OBGYN and I said, I described this to her and she actually said, I don't know what to tell you. What? She's a really good doctor too. This was in 2005 and she's like, I hear you. Like I, I get it. She's like, but I honestly don't know what to tell you. She's like, I could recommend you read Brooke Shields book You've got to be kidding me. But she was trying to be helpful. I mean, she really was like, I How just... How does she
1: not know that there's medicines for postpartum depression?
0: I mean, did she use the word postpartum depression? Um, I think I said to her, I think this is happening to me. And she said, I'm a bit at a loss because there are not a lot of resources out here. And that is especially true in France. I mean, what I did um, with with my daughter's dad was I... I went I had this horrible, teary day in like this little village library in the country. And I just flipped through books and books and books until I found something in French that sort of resembled what I thought was going on with me. And I copied all the pages and I was like, here, see, this is what it is. This is what it is. Because there's no, I definitely almost never hear it talked about over there. And so I did read Brooke Shields' book, which, you know, wasn't very, hadn't been out very long. And I thought, yeah, this is exactly what's going on here.
1: Was that comforting?
0: Yes, very much so, very much so. Um, And then I went back to the doctor, but I also uh, didn't want to stop breastfeeding. So I went back to the doctor and I said, I think this is a progesterone problem based on everything I think I know about my own hormones. And so let's try to do this with progesterone. So she gave me a prescription for progesterone and I tried that and it didn't work. And then uh, she referred me to a psychiatrist. And that was about a week before Christmas. And when I got there, I was just a mess, a mess. Always
1: a good time to be depressed, Oh, yeah.
0: Too. No, I was just at the end of my rope. And so this wonderful woman, she was just, I don't know if she specializes in this, but she was so kind. And she was about to go on vacation for two weeks with her family. And she said, I'm going to help you get through this. Like I can help you get through this. I'm gonna help you get through this. But she's like, I hate. She's just, she's like, poor you. Like, look at you. You're in such a state. You don't have to suffer. You know, I'm gonna help you. I promise. And she even gave me her portable phone number for the during the vacation that I could call her. And it was just that little spark. Like it's going to be okay.
1: That must have felt like a glass of water in the desert when you oh, found her. It was.
0: Her. It was. I mean, it took me a while to get to that person, but when I did. You know, that was exactly who I needed. So we first tried uh, putting me back on the Zoloft. And I stopped breastfeeding. Again, my choice. I just said, okay, I'm going to stop this, and I'm going to start treating myself. And that was probably also part of the reason I waited, because I just kept feeling like it's more important to do this with, you know, f- for my daughter than to, like, deal with this problem, and I can manage it. And I wasn't managing it. And then that didn't work... Um, And then uh, in the spring, I started taking Effexor. That did work. Um, I had problems with it. I had side effects, and ultimately it was very hard to get off of. Uh,
1: Did you find it hard to wake up in the morning?
0: I found everything. I was like, it was was difficult, but it was working. That was the thing. I mean, I, I have mixed feelings about that drug, but I have to say that it did help me in that situation. It probably saved my life. Um, and I was on that for about a year.
1: What, where did you see the relief in being on that drug? The intrusive thoughts stopped?
0: Yes, they did.
1: Were you able to feel a connection to your baby?
0: Yes, I was able to, I just was able to, light, to lighten up. I mean, here's the strange thing is like all this time when I'm, you know, doing all this crazy stuff and marching around the pond, I was being a very good mother. I mean, I was taking excellent care of my baby. I was cuddling her. I wasn't like, you know, locking her in another room. You I just w- weren't feeling it. No, I was doing it. I was doing it, but I wasn't feeling it, yeah. And and I wasn't giving myself any credit for doing it, also, you know.
1: What was your childhood like?
0: Um. My mother was uh my mother had us when she was my my brother and i uh she had me when she was twenty one um, for all kinds of reasons and I'm not sure what they all are I don't think that she was cut out to be a mother. I don't think that she was happy with being a mother um, and she ultimately left when left us when I was an early teenager Uh, moved far away Uh, left with a man and moved far away which was actually kind of a relief because my relationship with her was I I was I didn't feel that she loved me and I did not feel that I loved her which was very strange like from almost the beginning I just that thing that's supposed to happen between mothers and daughters Never existed between us.
1: Now I see why you related to the Teresa Strasser episodes. So yes,
0: much. exactly. And I told you I just listened to it recently, and I forgot about that part. Um,
1: Teresa's mom had really emotionally abandoned her for all of her childhood, even though she might have been there physically. And uh, and when Teresa had her baby, her mom said, um, "We're just not cut out to be moms." And uh, God, what an awful thing to. To say, to,
0: yeah, emotional abandonment is a very good way of putting it.
1: And then trying to drag your daughter down with you to, yeah, because you weren't a good mother to say it's a genetic thing with yeah. us. And it might have been a genetic thing with her mom. Who knows what the reason was? But
0: don't. I don't think there is a genetic thing to it. I mean, I'll I'll tell you why. <laughs> because I think another issue in this for me was, like I said, everything that I did wrong and was like, oh, here we go, can't do it not cut out for it and then it all started just to happen you know it just the maternal instinct that i was absolutely certain i wasn't certain but i was terrified wasn't there just happened like it's kind of hard not to love your kid (laughs) you know
1: but you had to get on on the meds to feel those feelings
0: no the the meds were more about Stopping feeling like I was messing it up. like back to Teresa Strasser, I told you, you know that, that, that little part that she had in the intro. Um, and, I, and she says at one point, like, it would be better for everyone if I just left.
1: Meaning left the earth.
0: Yeah, like everybody's going to be much better off without me. That's exactly how I felt too. Like, I am a mess. I'm going to ruin this kid's life, you know, and I'm in the way and none of it was true but i couldn't i could not tell my brain that it wasn't true and the medication helped me stop having that conversation in my head
1: you know i think feelings are so important that if we can't get a taste of that feeling that leads us out of the darkness it's impossible for us to intellectually believe that there's a way out of the darkness you know we need a taste of it and sometimes when depression is so profound There's not even a taste, a whiff of that that hope or that joy or whatever it is that we can that we can cling to. And even somebody sometimes telling you, this was my experience, your body and your soul tells you you're one of the lucky ones. I'm not so lucky. That's not going to be the case with me. Right. And that's a lie.
0: Oh, yeah. And again, you know. You've had the experience of people saying, hey, cheer up when you're depressed. It's the same with this. It's like you can't. You just can't. And you know you should be. And you've also brought this new person into the world. And you want to be like the smiley, happy Betty Crocker mom that you, you know, and you're not doing it.
1: That's like telling a diabetic, hey, suck it up. Produce some insulin. Right. Do you think... And what was your relationship like with your with your dad? Excellent. So when your mom left, there was there. You said there was some relief.
0: Well, the, I have to. They had divorced, um, and my mom had custody of us, and my father um, was with who, the woman who is now my stepmother. So uh, I think there were always. Um, I think everyone kind of knew that it was not great that I was with my mother, but it, just like Teresa Strasser said, in those days, you didn't do that. You didn't like challenge the mother. Nobody was, went with a
1: dad. Did yeah. you? Did you get the feeling that? Why do you think your mom wanted you? Got custody of you? Was it to look good? Because yes. it, yeah,
0: yeah. I'm, I'm sure she didn't want to be the woman who gave up her kids, so she tried it, but she wasn't there a lot. You know, she was barely there. I was raised by not not raised. I saw my father um every weekend. My father was excellent and we weren't that far away from each other, but I saw my dad like all the time, but then you know Monday through Friday we were with a babysitter. And she was just not present, not emotionally present. It's a difficult subject because she had a difficult childhood and you know I'm at that point in my life where I see how all that stuff kind of happened, and it's hard to be. I see how it happened, but it also happened to me. So you know, they say you're spo- you you grow up when you can forgive your parents. I can forgive her. I can actually forgive her because I I know, and she's she's had a very very difficult life. But the situation did affect me.
1: And I think it's important to give yourself that. Room to say, I'm going to grieve for the childhood that I didn't that I didn't have, and not to make your mom feel bad, but so that you can get those feelings out of your soul instead of trying to keep them down. I think a lot of people think that going back to the past is just wallowing in sadness, and it's not about wallowing. It's about feeling it so that it can pass through you or or, or, or out of you or. You know, the power can be taken out of it because it's not going anywhere.
0: No, it's not. But it's also confusing in that, you know, again, part of my life was great. I had a lot of support. You had know, a lot of fun. I had a lot of great times. I had a great dad. Like, So it's like I've never completely collapsed because there was somebody holding up the other side of it. So it's, I think, I don't know. Becoming a mother has made me understand some of the things that she went through, some of the frustrations that she had, and also has made me not be, like, sympathetic at all to what she did. Like, how could you do that? Whereas before, it was just all a mystery.
1: I wonder if it, if it helps to look at that when you, when you think, how, you know, how could she have done that? I wonder if it helps to look at that as a positive that I'm breaking the cycle. You know, yes, I know, definitely. I know you have to feel those feelings of, I didn't get that, and that makes me sad, but um, thank God that...
0: No, you know what is wonderful? I have to say, I am so happy to be on one end of this relationship. Like, even if I'm the mom and I have the daughter, I, it's so healing to be on this side of the relationship because I'm getting some of that, like, mother-daughter goodness, and that part is amazing, I and mean, it's wonderful. It doesn't, doesn't heal things with my mom, but it definitely... I get it. You know, it feels really, really good.
1: One of the things that you shared with me in an email is about the, the, the husband of, the, of your babysitter. Yes. Did you ever tell anybody?
0: I told my mother. She didn't believe me. Um, I did not tell my father.
1: Did you think he was going to kill the guy?
0: No. I the guy
1: How old were you when it when it happened?
0: Between 8 and 10.
1: And how many times?
0: Um it was <coughs> um you know people downplay this stuff. Uh we slept over at their house quite a bit cuz my mom was out. Um and so I would say it was more like inappropriate touching kind of thing but nothing inappropriate touching. And uh, he was telling me that, you know, this was happening because your mom's not here. Wow. And I could kind of see some truth to that. Like, yeah, where is she by the way? Why are we over here? And I was so dependent on my father and my aunt and all these people on my dad's side that I was terrified that if I told them, I would lose them, too.
1: They would blame you? Yeah. Wow, that is so heavy for a fucking kid. That is so heavy.
0: I was also kind of, and still am, kind of a smartass. And I would, like, spar with this guy all day, you know, because that was my, like, you know, standing up to him. And it was just, it was just messed up. I mean, then he w- and they would you know come back on me later. Um, uh, I think I also mentioned that email, like my daughter's had a babysitter three times. <laughs> We're working yeah. on a fourth time. I just you know, I'm terrified to leave her alone, which is also probably part of the problem. I probably should have had you know somebody take over for a week, but there was no way, no way, no way
1: which seems so natural to me when that happened to you. You know how could you not be? You know the babysitter survey that we have on the website every person that had something done to them by a babysitter um was like nobody babysits my kid, you know, or it's a family member that I really yeah, trust. Only family but even choose. then you never know. You never know and I hate to say that to to, to freak people out or make them never go see a movie in their life now. Right. Um, (laughs) In fact,
0: I have to go. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: Talk, walk me through approaching your mom with that information. What were you thinking and feeling? What did you say to her? What was her demeanor? What did she say? And how did you feel afterwards?
0: I didn't tell her. (sighs) I have to remember this. Exactly. Did you th- tell
1: her it while it was happening or afterwards? We moved,
0: actually, which was good. We we moved and that ended that. Um I have discussed it with her several times. Uh I still don't think she believes it. Um or that I was exaggerating and I was trying to get attention. Like it was like an attention-seeking thing. Um I just, I held it in. In fact, I held it in for a very long time. I didn't tell anybody until I was about 17. And I still think that it's something I'm just managing. I probably am not.
1: Give me a couple of snapshots of your relationship with your, with your mom, other than, other than that thing, that kind of exemplify
0: I'm really afraid that my mother will hear this, and I feel like I'm... Throwing
1: thrashing. her under the bus?
0: Yeah, I do. Uh,
1: you know, I go through that, too. But you're just speaking your truth.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I, I even heard you say your mom is a bad person. I've heard you say your mom had a tough life, and she didn't know how to deal with what she was feeling. And I don't know how any person could take offense.
0: I even think there may have been postpartum depression. I mean, for sure, because it can be hereditary. I I think there could have been, you know, after a second kid, like just the wheels went off. Because I have heard, I mean, I've been told that when I was a baby baby, that she was an excellent mother. Um, But I have also noticed that, you know, there's a difference between being a parent to an infant Who's super cute, mm-hmm. and one who starts talking, like yeah. and one who has opinions about you and can push your buttons, that gets a little tough.
1: Yeah, I think when kids start to look for that natural independence, yes. that's healthy, yes. and that the parent should encourage, but yes. also keep an eye on.
0: Absolutely, I
1: think that's that gray area that. People who were, you know, people who were children of narcissistic parents, who I'm sure your mom was, absolutely. um, they struggle with gray thinking. Everything is black and and white. And so I would imagine allowing a children to explore boundaries, you know, which is such a gray area, would be really difficult for that.
0: If you have low self-esteem to begin with, and you need validation from people, kids are not a good place to look (laughs) look for it. (laughs) Because, yeah. And that's not their job. You're the parent, you know? I mean, if you, yeah. Yeah, and I can see that my mother, you know, she was young. She was feeling, you know, she'd had a difficult childhood. She was feeling very vulnerable. She was, I don't think that she understood that when she had a baby, that the baby was going to take over. Like, the attention was going to go to the baby, People are going to stop telling her, you know, how wonderful and pretty she is, and they're going to start cuddling the baby. I think that was a big shock for her. So if you're the kind of person who needs a lot of external validation, you know, it's hard to pass that on. It's but that's the way it works. That's the way it works. You're like you're done. You're you're not done. But it's like, you know, you grow up, you know, you grow up, you have a child, and we all keep moving on, we all keep moving on, we all keep moving on. You can't be you got to make room for the kid.
1: <laughs> but if you're emotionally stunted, which yes. most people who've never processed their, their abuse or their abandonment, yeah, you can know that intellectually. Oh, my God, I shouldn't be jealous of my daughter. Exactly. But.
0: Exactly. You should, there's, there's no circumstance in, in which a parent should compete with their child. It happens all the time. And it's because they didn't get whatever they needed. And it's, yeah, that definitely happened between my mother and I. Definitely. I
1: would love to see a mother versus daughter beauty patch.
0: Well, I think they exist, don't they? Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, they exist. They definitely do. Mother
1: versus daughter?
0: Well, I I have seen a documentary. I don't remember where it was. I can see mother
1: and daughter being. No. and, And by the way, I hate all beauty pageant make me sick it, to me it's like a slow train wreck it, oh yeah it's sadder to me than watching faces of death because yeah. at least the person in faces of death is dead has, <laughs> i've actually never seen faces of death but i'm pi- pi- trying to picture the worst thing that you can watch yeah. at least that person is done with their pain right but the beauty pageant thing i feel like i'm watching somebody in the middle of quicksand that oh yeah that you can't get to because they're like i'm
0: good yeah Sand's warm. Yeah, I have I have actually seen at some point a documentary about a mother and daughter that were in a beauty pageant together. It's horrific. A couple things I want to say. Um my relationship with my daughter's great. So all that fear about, you know, like I mess this up, this is irrepla ir-, ir what am I mean? What's my word? Irreparable. Um it was all fine. She doesn't remember it. We're thick as thieves. It's all good. So that's the one thing. Um and I'll, you
1: feel like she can come to you with anything. Yes, absolutely. That's got to be a great feeling.
0: It is. And also, you know, it took me a few years to like go, I'm doing this. I'm actually doing this. It's, it's going fine. Like it's, it, you know, I got, it took me a while to get my sea legs and I did. And it's, you know, I feel good about it. So having postpartum depression does, it's not the end. It's not the end. And it's one of the easiest things to treat if you go get help. Which is why people need to speak about it, you know. Um, I think if you said to the mother who lives next door to you with a new baby, like, are you okay? I don't think she's going to do that. But she's going to say, well, actually, no. You know, But your family, your friends, you know, I make it a point with all of my friends who have babies to check in.
1: You know, what I think may allow that neighbor to come forward is if you said, you know, if everything's not okay, you should know that I had a really difficult first year. Yes and here's what happened Absolutely. to me. Absolutely,
0: that's what I would love to see people do.
1: Do you ever do it with anybody? Always,
0: always, that's and awesome. sometime, sometimes they're like, no, I'm fine, please. <laughs> no, Are you sure you're <laughs> Stop, okay? No, really, you're it's set. all good. I know you're not telling me that you're, no, I'm fine, please go away, like, <laughs> but you know. What a beautiful gesture on your part though. It's not even a gesture, it's just common sense. You know, here's the thing. A woman has a baby. and They're like, how are you feeling? How'd you heal up from your cesarean section? You know, how, how's it going? You know, there's a fourth question. Are you okay? Do you, need, do you need help? Do you need to talk to somebody? You know, are you feeling blue? Like that should be, and I know, I know hospitals in the United States, different places are doing postpartum screening. It's, and there's a questionnaire of like 12 things that they're supposed to answer. Um, uh, I think and maybe it is in some programs this should definitely be part of like the the prenatal classes for sure there should be like I mean maybe there are maybe there is but you know there should be a good half hour it's on not that.
1: widespread
0: Nobody wants to be a downer you know and men should know men should know like my wife has not completely lost her mind you know men can help
1: How did your partner
0: he came around
1: What allowed him to come around what
0: Education. I mean, just being able from to read. From you? That part. From
1: outside sources?
0: From me, because where I was living, it wasn't something that, you know, people talked about. The women that uh, this happened to that I know, like, kind of went to spend time with their parents and came back, you know, and, like, those of us in the know knew what was going on. But, yeah, it's still, I think it's still not okay to say, you know, she can't handle this right now. So another thing that I wanted to say is that I started reaching out. Once I figured out what was going on, I started reaching out um, on the Internet to people I didn't even know. I joined, I joined chat rooms and things, and that was immensely helpful because all those people were going through the same thing.
1: Talk about uh, Catherine Stone's website.
0: Yes. There is a great website out there. It's called um, postpartumprogress.com. Uh, and this woman who I don't know, but I'm a huge fan of, uh, she has, she, it's kind of a clearinghouse for all things postpartum. And um, she she does sort of a blog about it, but she also has incredible resources. You can go there and, and get the reading list on it. Some of the things I haven't read, but um, that is a great place to start. It's, it's a good. great place to get help.
1: And we're trying to get her uh, as a guest. She lives in Atlanta. And uh, when she does come in town, her schedule is usually pretty tight, but we've corresponded a couple of times. So fingers crossed that we'll be able to get her at uh, at some point.
0: It's so helpful. There's another woman. Her name is Heather Armstrong. She's a writer. She's so funny. She's hilarious. Um, I did, She was actually the first person I discovered just Googling postpartum depression. So her site, which is called deuce.com,
1: D-O-O-C-E.
0: Exactly. Um, when my daughter was born her first daughter was maybe a year or two old and she is a very very funny woman and really suffered with this i mean much more severely than i did and uh she actually so she had a she had a tradition of writing a, a letter to her daughter every month i think it was every month um it was like a love letter to her daughter and and so her posts were between Here's what's happening with me I'm losing my mind and you know, I've had to go to the hospital and this this and that but then these amazing letters about her daughter that were just they're so touching and loving and that helped me immensely because I saw like these things can exist at the same time and they do and she went on to have a second child um, and, and in fact the columns about her first daughter have been made into a book and her experience with PPD I can't remember the name of the book but if you go on her website you can easily find it that there she did a whole book about that that was an incredible help to me um she has a community on her site now where moms talk to each other about different things and you know that's always one of the topics and uh, I was, I was going to mention that one of the topics is should women who have depression issues have babies. There's always someone on that site who says, you know, I'm 25 years old, I have this problem, I have this problem, I think I shouldn't have children, and um, I would say no. You, sh- I mean, well, I would say discuss it with your doctor, like really, you know, assess the situation, but don't think that because you have, you know, premenstrual issues or you have um, had uh, episodes of depression that that would make you a bad mother or that you would destine your child to a terrible life because I think that people who are very aware of their own mental state are actually much better at dealing with these things. When you know like, oops, something's not right here.
1: I wonder too if that could be a great example for that child of how to deal with crisis and that things can be managed if you're willing to be open to what the help is and sometimes to doing things even if they're painful or you don't wanna do them because they're gonna be uncomfortable and lengthy and blah, blah, blah.
0: Well, of course, I'm like on the lookout for any signs of this in my daughter, any signs of like, horm- I mean, she's not old enough now, but like even, you know, depression, cause it runs in my family. Like I'm just hawk eye on that all the time. And I do talk to her about those things a lot. Like I don't, I'll tell her, I don't feel good today. But here's what i'm doing about it or remember when i felt really bad yesterday like here's what i did about it and today i feel better and i want to start that dialogue with her because that's the point you know we can't hide this stuff it's too dangerous to hide it
1: that's so awesome too that she then she then gets a realistic template to go okay you have good days and you have bad days
0: yes and you're you know the whole Premise of your podcast that you are not alone. That is the point.
1: Is there anything else you want to you want to touch on before we go to the fears and loves?
0: I think that's it.
1: I'm going to be reading the uh, fears and loves of a listener, Rachel. You want to start with fears first? Yes. Okay. Why don't you start?
0: I fear that despite everything I've just said, I'm a crappy mother. <laughs> <laughs> right out of the
1: gate. Yeah, I will. Nice. Uh Rachel says I'm afraid that I'll never find romantic love.
0: I'm afraid that my daughter will inherit my hormonal issues.
1: Um because of this first fear, I'm afraid that I'll never get married.
0: I'm afraid of pigeons.
1: <laughs> uh because of these first uh, by, uh, my my wife is too. Really? Uh, freaked out by pigeons. Free uh, equally freaked out and grossed out.
0: They're they're freaky. Yeah.
1: Um because of these first two fears, I'm afraid that I'll never have children. No one, no one in my immediate family has given birth out of wedlock, and I refuse to be the first. Also, my mom was a single mother for most of my life and has said that nothing would disappoint her more in life than for me to willingly choose to be a single mother. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> Lots of support. Wow.
0: Well, okay. Um I'm afraid that having a child at nearly 40 means that I will not live or live to see or enjoy my grandchildren.
1: I'm afraid that when people look at me they are disgusted by my physical appearance.
0: I'm afraid of my daughter growing up in a culture that hypersexualizes young girls.
1: I'm afraid that I'm breaking my mom and my grandparents' hearts by living abroad. Wow, there's so many similarities between you and you. Whoa, this this
0: always happens. Always
1: happens. The synchronicity of the fear and love off.
0: All right, well, here was my next one. I'm terrified of something happening to one of my relatives and not being able to get home in time.
1: I'm afraid that my coworkers think uh, that I get picked for extra trainings because my dad is high up in our school district.
0: I'm afraid that with all of the hormonal issues I've had, that menopause is going to be sheer hell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm absolutely, positively terrified of frogs and toads. (gasps) And pigeons.
0: I'm afraid of flying.
1: I'm afraid that I will be paying off my student loans for the rest of my life. A lot of people have that one. Uh, I think I'm done. Let's go to the loves. Okay. Why don't you start?
0: Are these her loves, too? They are. Her fears were good, so her loves are going to be good. They were. Um, I love, in the morning, when I drop my daughter off for school, let her out of the car when she's dressed, her homework is done, her breakfast is eating, and she smiles. Oh, that's That's nice. That's when I feel like
1: we're doing this right. Uh, Rachel says, I love living on a tiny island in the South Pacific. That sounds awesome.
0: I like trying a new food for the first time.
1: Me too. I have a hard time then not eating it every day for a month.
0: I get, yeah, I do that. Yeah. I get obsessed with like one thing. Yeah. And the, you, yeah. Uh,
1: I love when my students call me mom. Oh, that's <laughs> sweet.
0: I love having exact change. Uh,
1: I love looking at the Pacific Ocean on my drive to work each day.
0: I love meteor showers, giant trees, and anything else that reminds me that the universe is very big and we are all very small.
1: M- me too. Uh, the mountains give me that. Yeah. Uh, I love getting hugged from behind. Oh, that's an interesting one, because I would imagine a lot of people, Don't that like would it. be a fear. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, I love filthy, inappropriate British humor. <laughs>
1: uh, I love listening to side two of The Beatles' Abbey Road, ah. which I think ends with the end, right? And Inside. in
0: the end... Drum solo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could do it. <laughs> um, I love sleeping with the windows open, even if it's snowing.
1: Uh i love having someone else brush my hair for me
0: good one i love discovering an author filmmaker or podcast that i didn't know about and knowing there's a whole body of work still to go isn't that awesome love it
1: uh i love the smell of ginger lay l-e-i lay lie lay like a
0: lay l-e-i around your neck she must she lives in the pacific right yeah I think it's a flower. Oh, yeah,
1: I love the smell of a ginger, of a ginger lay.
0: Yeah, yeah, it must be a lay, a lay of ginger yeah. blossoms.
1: But that smells good.
0: Yeah. Um, I love the mental clarity that happens when I go on a very long steep hike.
1: Mm. There's something about a hike. There's something so about nice. the marching. Like yeah. The, I like it because it's it's you get all that energy out, but it's also sightseeing. At least if it's a a place that's scenic. Um, Oh, I love this one. I love the sound of pouring rain on my tin roof.
0: Oh, yeah. I love when you're stopped at a stoplight, listening to music in the car, and the people walking down the street match the beat of the music, and it all (laughs) seems synchronized.
1: That's awesome. Uh, I love reading the stats of my former students who now play college football. Hmm. Well, I know we've never had that one before. Yeah.
0: Um, I guess finally, I love the wise women who have mothered me emotionally and intellectually and creatively over the years. And the fact that I'm old enough that I'm starting to be able to pay it forward.
1: That is beautiful. That is really beautiful. I think we should end on that one. Yep. Amelia, thank you so much for... Uh sharing your life with us and i'm i'm sorry there were so many moments where i i didn't understand what you were no what you were saying i uh this might have been on my part my clumsiest interview uh yet but
0: no you've had much clumpier
1: (laughs) 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 thank you so much
0: okay thanks
1: many thanks to uh to amelia and uh you know uh, i e- emailed her afterwards i usually shoot somebody an email um letting them know their episode's going up and um we were both just saying how you know we hope, we hope that th- this episode um helps women but we also really hope it helps the uh, the men in their lives because um i think we are probably in the dark even more than than they are um Let's get before I, I I get into some surveys. Uh, I almost I almost spared you the uh, the announcements. You almost got off. Uh, I want to uh, mention there's a couple of different ways to support the the uh, program. <laughs> program, really? The festivities. Um, you can go to the website mentalpod.com and you can support us financially by making a PayPal donation, either a one time or a recurring monthly, for as little as five bucks a month. And God bless you people who have um, donated and are monthly donors. I so appreciate it. Um, You can also support us by uh, shopping through our Amazon search portal. It's on the homepage, right-hand side, about halfway down. It doesn't cost you anything. Amazon gives uh, us a couple of nickels. You can buy a T-shirt or a mug. Um, Have I mentioned that we now have women's T-shirts? Estoy Merchandise is uh, our new purveyor of uh, of t-shirts and they do a real nice job um and you can just click on the link on our homepage and go uh, go buy yourself one um you can support us uh non-financially oh and also coffee there's a um a coffee uh cooperative that um brands are uh brand some coffee and they it's a non-profit and they um Give us a couple of nickels when you buy a pound of coffee, so I believe that link is on the homepage as well. Uh, things are just falling apart. The, the wheels are falling off of the announcements. I am by the side of the road with flares and, uh, and sticking my thumb out. What is it, the 70s? <laughs> um, you can also support us non-financially by going to iTunes, writing something nice, giving us a good rating, uh, or spreading the word through social media. Really appreciate you guys uh, doing that. All right. Let's get to the surveys. I'm gonna The first one I'm going to read is just an excerpt from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Catman Sruthers. And um, he's straight in his 20s. And uh, Deepest Darkest Thoughts, I want to scream at my girlfriend and just dress her down for being so thoughtless when I'm feeling depressed. I want to commit suicide but make it appear as an accident. I think those were two separate sentences. Uh, I want someone to shoot me in the back of the head like an American beauty. Uh, I find the idea of a bullet tearing through my head in slow motion, strangely comforting. Uh, My dog is a rescue and can be aggressive. Uh, We all got problems, am I right? Sometimes when she's particularly hard to handle on a walk, And she is not responding to positive reinforcement. I want to beat her to an inch of her life. Sometimes I just want to leave. I want to look my life in the eyes and say, fuck you, and just walk the fuck away. I want to cheat on my girlfriend just because. I love my girlfriend, but I want the rush of novelty and social disregard. I want to tell happy people to fuck themselves. I want to pretend to be normal and use my anger as a driver to be a ruthless business person. Um. I haven't met very many happy, ruthless business people. Um, Most of them are really stuck in their heads and um, not very joyful. That's just been my experience. Deepest, darkest secret: sometimes I swear in my head using the most foul sexist and racist language, not because I'm sexist or racist, but because I know those words are the most destructive. I've punched my dog in the face. To be fair, she bit me in a moment of her own rage, but still, I feel like such a shit. I actively maintain a secret online dating profile, even though I'm in a long-term relationship. I've never done anything more than email people, but still, it's like a fucking time bomb. I keep strapped under my chair just to have the rush of sitting on a bomb. I've manipulated data in my research to make the results better. I lie all the time by giving excuses for why I've failed to meet deadlines and engagements. Really, I'm just lazy or anxious and don't want to or can't make them. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for simplicity. I get so easily overwhelmed by decisions and career advancement. Have you shared these things with others? No. Or not really. I have gone to therapy and divulged the, quote, clean version of this to my psychologist. It's too hard to own up to your darkest thoughts, even here sometimes. Somehow acknowledging them trivializes them. That might seem odd to say, as though I wish to maintain their importance. I don't, at least not in and of themselves. I just don't want to minimize their importance and how they shape my personality and drive my inner world. I'm not proud of these thoughts, but they are a part of me. I say welcome people into your inner world. I have It has been a lifesaver for me. Uh, how do you feel after writing these things down? Relieved and sad. It's like going to therapy, but your therapist is a movie poster. I do find comfort, though, in reading other people's responses and finding that many share the same struggles as me. Thank you for that. This is from the What Has Helped You survey, filled out by uh, Danielle. She's gay and in her 30s, and uh, her issues are depression, anxiety, PTSD, and bipolar two. Um, I've struggled with depression, anxiety, and PTSD since grade school. Uh, For the past four years, I've struggled with obesity. Uh, I was always a skinny bitch, so this is worth noting. Uh, What has helped you deal with them? Unfortunately, nothing helps me currently. Riding, riding my bike, and walking worked for me in the past. Unfortunately, my anxiety and body pain prevent me from participating in these activities now. Yes, even writing causes me anxiety. Meds don't work for me, so I'm going to try ECT, which stands, if I'm not mistaken, for electroconvulsive therapy. Um, Sending you a hug, Danielle. This is uh, from the Shame and Secrets survey filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself Grim. She is um, straight in her 20s raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, um, was the victim of sexual abuse, never reported it. Um, She's also been physically abused and emotionally abused. And uh, about the emotional abuse, she writes, my parents split up when I was a year old. My mother went from being a middle-class housewife and mother of four living in her home country to living in a foreign country, single, alone, and working three jobs to make ends meet. To some extent, she blamed me for their split. I had been unplanned six years after my other siblings, and the strain put the nail on the coffin. Her depression over uh, the reduced circumstances was directed at everyone, but the physical abuse was mostly directed at me. For years, she beat the crap out of me until I was 14, and old enough and strong enough to physically overpower her, at which point she never hit me again. My mother now completely denies ever having beat any of us as children." Um, Have you ever had any positive experiences with your abuser? Since the death of my stepfather three years ago, our relationship has improved and to an extent reversed. I now take care of her. Only in the last year or so have I been able to forgive this behavior and I choose not to dwell on these emotions as I don't see the value in dwelling and making myself unhappy and straining our relationship. Darkest thoughts, I think about how worthless I am, how much I despise myself, how pathetic and unlovable I am to those around me, and I think about killing myself. I project a very confident and somewhat arrogant exterior, so these are things I have never told anyone. Deepest, darkest secrets, I cheated on my current partner. This kills me. Part of me thinks this stems from feeling worthless compared to him as he is younger than me and more successful. Um... What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to ask my biological father why he allowed our mother to raise us, knowing the circumstances that we lived in, both financially and emotionally. What do you wish for? I wish to be free of destructive thoughts and patterns. Have you shared these things with others? No. Whilst I am getting better, congratulations on being our first listener to use the word whilst. I I stop eating from my English egg cup, pull off my crown and salute you fine lady uh whilst i'm getting better at it uh, i was for a large part of my life very emotionally reserved or closed off and felt that by sharing my emotions with another person i was burdening them and portraying weakness i think those are the two biggest myths about sharing our inner lives with people as we think we're going to burden them or look weak um how do you feel after writing these things down weepy as i try to force uh, myself not to think about these things, but also somewhat relieved, like ripping off a band aid. Well, I hope it's an elegant royal band aid. Um, but all kidding aside, uh, Grim, thank you. Thank you for that. You sound like a really compassionate uh, person. This is uh, from a new survey that I'm very excited about called Awful Some Moments. And um, they. The question is: uh, Share an awfulsome moment or two from your life. Actually, it's not a question; it's a instruction. Uh, an awfulsome moment from your or two from your life—something that was awful and dark, but had an element that was awesomely ironic, sickly funny, or bizarre—a moment that makes you want to cry and laugh at the same time. And this was filled out by Jay Monkey, who writes: "I had a guy wheel out on me once." Seriously, he was riding his bike and got hit by a car and broke his pelvis. I bathed, fed, and housed him. We had already been dating for two years and had one of those, I don't want to be your boyfriend, but I'm, I'd still like to have sex with you relationships. He was a scooter-riding, tight-shirt-wearing, quadrophenia jerk-off but i was addicted to him so i bathed fed and housed him when he got hit seeing as he'd have to be in a wheelchair for 3 months then one night after many unanswered pages she puts in parentheses this is dating me he rolled in about 10 about 3 a.m. i said nothing but grabbed his crutches and rolled out oh he said um he said nothing but grabbed his crutches and rolled out not a word i stood there dumbfounded i ran after him down the alleyway Daggers in my eyes. There was a cab waiting for him with a girl in it. The fucker was cheating on me in a wheelchair. I stood at the door of the cab. He rolled the window down and simply said, Don't get crazy. That is awesome. I want to see that in a movie. Don't get crazy. From the cab. This is... From the uh, Oh, this is the, from the survey, um, people's experience being hospitalized and uh, filled out by a transgendered, uh, female to male. Um, and by the way, I apologize. When I recorded that episode with Amelia, I was still referring to people as transgendered. Uh, and I w- had been corrected since then that it uh, is trans- transgender, not transgendered. Um, C. Martin Jones is a transgender male to female. Um, bisexual, though not currently attracted to any sex or gender, uh, is 20 to 29 years old and writes, um, I was hospitalized. I had told a counsel- counselor I was suicidal and I had a plan. It only, uh, describe your experience as a patient or visitor and did it help? Uh, it only helped tangentially. I was 18 in my freshman year of college. I've been suicidal for a while and decided to talk to someone before I killed myself. The counselor almost immediately took me on the subway to a hospital and got me hospitalized. It was an enormous shock. I had been outed as depressed and suicidal to my family, and I basically went into shock. They took all my personal belongings, but none of the hospital clothes fit me. I had to wear a gown with no pants for my first day there. I was put in the adult ward because I was legally an adult, but I was the youngest one there, and it was really, really scary. The majority of the other patients were much more profoundly affected by their mental illnesses. I spoke to several people who were actively hallucinating, but what was more disconcerting was how lucid they were. My roommate told me, very matter-of-factly, that she had come to the U.S. from Haiti because the devil was chasing her, and her father was the Lion King. Even if you aren't delusional, the boundaries of sanity get very thin when you're surrounded by the delusional. The shower in my room was broken and only sprayed freezing cold water, so I didn't shower while I was there. I was given my clothes back, and my sister visited on the second day I was in. She brought me a bunch of books, so I spent the rest of the time reading Valley of the Dolls, very apropos. I think I was in for three uh, and a half days. The entire time, I didn't speak to a doctor for more than 15 minutes. I ate next to nothing, but no one noticed or said anything. On the day I was leaving, a nurse brought me a breakfast menu for the next day, and when I told her I didn't need it, she said, Well, we'll see. Fill it out just in case. I still kind of hate her, even if I understand where she was coming from. It was extremely traumatizing. It's taken me years to build up trust in doctors, and it's only seven years later that I can view it as not not entirely a punishment for some personal flaw. I met one guy who was also there because of depression, and he was the only bright spot. He was really nice to me, actually sat and talked with me, and I'm really grateful for that. I did start going to my therapist because of this, and she is great. I do believe that if I hadn't gone to the hospital, I probably would be dead but I think finding a good therapist would have been equally as beneficial. Thank you for that. See Martin Jones. This is from the Happy Moments survey filled out by Danielle, and she writes, uh, when my biological mother picked me up from my abusive adoptive, quote, mother's home when I was a teen so I could live with her. Um, oh, I see. Uh, when her, the happy moment was when that happened. Um, I had spent my whole life wanting to be good enough uh, for her to take me back and so well I felt like I finally had I felt relief to get away from my adoptive m- mother I felt excitement to see what it would be like to live with my biological mom I was afraid she would force me to go to Christian school but I talked her out of it and into an alternative school falling in love with my high school girlfriend oh the butterflies in my stomach the all-body tingling when I first kissed her the thrill of holding her hand and having sex with her. I loved all of those things. I was at an alternative school, and many of my fellow students were LGBT, LGBT, so it wasn't a big deal. Dating a woman was not an option in my hometown. It felt wonderful to be in an environment where I could be myself. Thank you for that. This is um. This is also from the uh, being hospitalized Um survey, and this was filled out by a woman who calls herself Recovering. She uh, identifies as pansexual. She's in her 40s. She was hospitalized for an eating disorder, and uh, she says, to say I met some interesting people would be an understatement. The staff was lovely but easily manipulated. Rebelling against their rules was a nice distraction from my internal struggles, although I did what I could to stay longer as I preferred the safety of the ward to the chaotic world outside. Thank you for that. Uh, This is from the same survey filled out by a guy, uh, also pansexual, who calls himself Brecht. He is uh, between 18 and 19. I guess that would only leave 18 and a half. He uh, was hospitalized because he tried to commit suicide. He writes... uh, Did it help? It did and it didn't. I was so scared and fucked up by the hospital that I went and got on medication and went to therapy, which I'd been resisting for my entire life. But the hospital was a fucking hellhole. I had to speak to a doctor who clearly just wanted to go home and he asked me why I tried to kill myself and I said that I'd had a sad life. And he said, uh, and he asked what single event, and I said there wasn't any, and he asked how long I'd felt sad, and I told him for years, and that motherfucker looked me in the face and said, Well, I can't do anything to help you. What a dick How do you do it? when somebody's been sad for years? How do you i don't understand that oh, this was all this is um from the What has helped you, filled out by our friend uh C. Martin Jones. Um, whose issues are uh, bipolar, to self-harm and anxiety, and what has helped uh, our friend is committing to therapy with a great therapist, medication, finding a community that I love and feel very accepted in, finding friends I feel comfortable being open with, and cigarettes when I really can't cope. Thank you for that. That's an awesome one. And I agree with all of those um, But I do coffee instead of cigarettes because I'm better than you. That's right. I'm superior. This is from uh, the same survey filled out by a guy uh, who calls himself Cold Fingers. He's gay in his 20s. His issues are bipolar disorder, major depressive disorder, anxiety and panic attacks, persistent suicidal thoughts, fucked up thoughts all the fucking time, and co-narcissism. What's helped? Sadly, of late, it's been 3.2 beer and cigarettes, but so many other things. Uh, I'm living with my sister currently, and her support, her kids, and her dog have been a huge help. Um, Winter is not a good time for me, but having her and her family around has been so great. Aside from that, it's small, trivial stuff. I'm very active on Twitter. People rag on it, but it's been really great getting to know people from all over the world who struggle with the same shit I do. The dildo jokes don't hurt either. Uh, taking photographs, putting time and effort into an art project. Photography is a powerful medium. There are so many other things, but I'm sitting outside smoking, and my fingers are getting cold. And That's why we have the name Cold Fingers, I guess. Um, this was an email I got from uh, a listener who just wanted to share her hopes, and uh, she calls herself Hopes Not Lost. And... Um, These are some of her hopes. I hope one day I can see past all the dark shadows in my past and see there was beautiful moments too. I hope I will be able to take off all the masks and show my authentic self. I hope I can break down the walls of pain and be able to be silly with my children. Uh, I hope I can one day accept that yes, the abuse was wrong and traumatizing, but how I coped with it has made me a strong, loving, compassionate adult. I hope that through this healing I can no more off. I could say no more often without feeling like I am letting someone else down or that they may think I don't care about them. I hope that by diving into um, my abuse, it will not drag me into a deeper depression. I hope one day I will see all the beautiful moments that I helped to create. I hope at the end of this journey, I can look back and be amazed by the growth I have made and that it is possible to truly believe I am all the nice things people say about me. That one makes me want to cry good tears. I hope I can one day take a compliment without feeling uncomfortable, shameful, or without my skin crawling. I hope I don't lose the passion for helping people, but also start asking and accepting help from others. I hope I can stop looking for physical illnesses to validate receiving attention and being cared for. I hope I will always have access to therapy when I need it. I hope I remember to laugh. I hope I can experience sex as an act of love, not just what you do when you love someone. I hope I can stop feeling like a victim and more like a survivor. And finally, I hope that the world can see all others on this planet as comrades rather than enemies. Didn't know she was Russian. I couldn't resist. Uh, And finally, this is a happy moment from Blue Rose who writes, My best friend and I have both recently graduated from college and moved back in with our parents. We've been separated for most of our past uh, four and a half years and have both had some difficult times and unhealthy relationships while apart. Last weekend, after going to her boyfriend's show, he's in a punk band, we sat on the couch in her living room and watched My Fair Wedding with David Tutera, our girliest indulgence, for seven hours until five in the morning when we fell asleep, curled up in balls next to each other under the same heated blanket. Later that morning, her dog climbed on the couch, and we both sleepily sat and played with the dog, laughing. Sunlight was pouring into the window, my phone wasn't ringing, and I had nowhere to be. I realized it was the most comfortable I had been around another human being in recent memory, and I wasn't worried about anything at all. And what a beautiful, beautiful moment to end this episode on. Thank you so much. Everybody that helps this survey, thank you for all your support helps this survey, helps this show. Thank you for your support in the in this last year and uh looking forward to another another year of getting to know you guys better, um having you get to know me better um and uh feeling more a part of uh of the universe. And if you're out there and you're feeling alone, don't give up hope. Just ask for help. And uh know that you are not alone. None of us are. And thanks for listening.
0: Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody, I know, know way. Bizarrely everybody I know weird is bizarrely beautifully, way. beautifully, up is bizarrely
1: beautifully fucked up in some weird way.